everybody, and welcome back to Butter With That, one of your favorite movie podcasts on a wonderful podcast network called Movie John. Um, I'm here with my co-host today. I'm Sam, by the way. I'm here with my co-hosts, um, Dave, Connor, and Christine, and we are continuing the conversation about robots. I'm super excited to share my pick with you all, which is Pacific Rim, but before we dive deep into that want to check in with everybody how you doing have you seen anything cool lately it's hot it's hot it's really hot and so I feel the uh the other day listen i needed to watch comfort movie and so we rewatched best in show for the millionth time check out that episode um years ago on butter with that still holds up still great still love it still know every line uh and it hit the spot we watched it over two nights um and it hit the spot nice yeah, I went back to some revisits. Uh, I re- I watched Uncut Gems for a second time. Uh, I'd only seen it the first time. And it was, you know, uh, I was into it, but I, I guess it was sort of among like the whirlwind of hype that was relevant to it at the time. Uh, so having had some time to sit with it and watch it again, I, re- I really enjoyed it a lot more this time because I was able to more efficiently keep track of like how desperately and relentlessly escalating every situation became. But yeah, definitely, uh, definitely enjoyed the rewatch. It was, uh, it was interesting. And uh, also rewatched uh, The Phantom, which, uh, Sam, you, you've got to check this movie out if you've not seen it. This is the one I told you about where it's uh, like a superhero comic adaptation of The Phantom. Uh, he's a guy who uh, just sort of like lives in, in the jungle and like just, he's very Indiana Jones sort of superhero and, and, and whatnot. But he's played by Billy Zane uh, and it's got some really heavy mummy energy, <gasps> like 1999, the mummy energy. Like yes. it, was, it was written as a comedy, but then that idea was dropped at the last minute without changing the script. So like tons of people still deliver these hokey lines, but with this kind of like seriousness that, mm-hmm. uh, that the mummy is a little more intentional with obviously, but it feels, it rings of it in a, in a really fun way. So I would suggest checking it out. Okay. I'm going to have to, um, gosh, that sounds amazing actually. Also, because you brought up the mummy, I'll have you all know that I am in the the works of designing a new tattoo with my tattoo artist and one is going to be dedicated to the mummy. I, I told you guys about this before. Um, and I finally figured out what it's going to be. Um, you know, the old movie posters, um, from way back in the day, they, obviously they did some for the universal monsters i'm gonna have it in the the style of that mummy but with um you know rick and evie and Imhotep. so um i'm super excited that sounds sounds so cool yeah that sounds awesome um i have like haven't watched movies except for the ones that we talk about on the podcast in the past couple weeks because i've just been binge watching a show called Taskmaster, which I have talked about, not on the podcast, but with some folks, some folks who listen to the podcast. And uh, it's just a gem. That's really all I can say. It like brings joy to my life every night <laughs> when I need a little pick me up. And yeah, I just, it's on YouTube, you know, it's just so easy to watch. You can watch snippets of it. You can watch full episodes. Uh, it's just... It's wonderful. And so it's been taking up my movie watching time. Um, I watched Rambo First Blood for the first time. That's right. Yeah. I Okay, this is another one of those movies, like Point Break, where what I thought it was going to be versus what it actually was were two entirely different things. I was, I guess, 
when I think Rambo, I think of what happens later in the sequels. Um, but what I saw was just like, I don't know. It's kind of like Stallone at his best. Um, Dave oh, yeah. mentioned the, the last, um, his, his last like big speech, but like also there's something about Stallone that is just so like in, endearing and you just like, you really feel for him all the time. But when he finds out that his, um, you know, his war buddy died of cancer and just like the look of absolute devastation. Oh my God. My heart really, really broke. Yeah. It's a really powerful ending. And I, I really adore first blood because of not, and not only it's action, which is really great, but because of its themes and especially it's uh, it, it's all with spoiler free is it comes to a head in a really emotionally resonant and powerful way that says a lot of things about war. Um, and then he just sort of becomes an unstoppable Terminator-esque tool of war for like five movies. And it gets really Jangoistic and bad. So uh, I would say if you haven't seen First Blood, check out First Blood and then maybe skip the rest of Rambo. <laughs> That's just me. Wow, $15 million budget and $156 million gross at the box office in 1982. It's a big deal. Yeah, the power is still low, and I'll say. Uh, my mom told me a story of when she saw Rocky Four in theaters. There's like this one moment where Adrian and Rocky are having like a discussion uh, about him fighting um, Drogo. And um, uh, she's like, you can't win or you can't beat him, whatever she says. <laughs> my mom said that in the theaters, some guy stood up and said, oh, this is terrible, but also very funny. Smack that bitch. <laughs> <laughs> they just were not accepting that, huh? No. <laughs> just invested in the story. You know, yeah. you want moviegoers who are just so immersed and invested in what happens to the characters. <laughs> Sometimes you just get pulled in. My life is so much better for knowing that story. <laughs> All right. So let's jump into my pick of this month, which is 2013's Pacific Rim. Um, Pacific Rim for me was uh, a surprise. Again, not really knowing what to expect and just being absolutely blown away, which is why I had to pick it. Um, so it's directed by Guillermo del Toro, screenplay by Travis Beecham and Guillermo del Toro, star starring Charlie Hunnam, Idris Elba, uh, Rinko Kikuchi, Charlie Day, Rob Kaczynski, Max Martin, Ron Perlman, and Bern Gorman. Um, Music, I included this because um, the music was done by Ramin Jawadi, and he's also done a lot of stuff, but particularly for Game of Thrones. Um, one episode in season eight with the Night King, the, the, the music for the Night King was fucking red as hell. The best part of season eight by far. If you heard my cat, that's one of my cats. Um, it had a budget of 180 to 200 million dollars and made about um, four, four eleven, four eleven million um, worldwide. But it was significantly more popular with people outside of North America, which I thought was pretty interesting. In case you haven't seen Pacific Rim before, uh, here's a little synopsis that I stole from Wikipedia. So Pacific Rim is set in the future when Earth is at war with kaijus, colossal sea monsters, which have emerged from an interdimensional portal on the bottom of the Pacific Ocean. To combat the monsters, humanity unites to create 
Jaegers, uh, giant humanoid mechas, each controlled by two co-pilots whose minds are joined by a mental link. Um, that's it in a nutshell. Uh, when we first start with the movie, it happens in 2020, which like, I don't know, I, <laughs> having lived now through 2020, I think that, yeah, the world probably could have ended there. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, it might've been a beggar, better year with the Kaijus actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, so has, was this anyone's first time watching Pacific Rim? This is my first time watching Pacific Rim. Oh my god! This is also, my first time watching it. Okay, so yes, this is my first time as well. <laughs> I mean, I'd seen about half of it, but um, but yeah, this is the first time watching the whole thing. So I'll, I'll... holy shit, has this ever happened to me before? I don't think so. I picked a movie that no one else has really seen. This is a great day. Um, <laughs> so, my friends who've seen Pacific Rim now for the first time, what do you think of it? I thought it was so much fun. Um, I thought it was a great watch. Uh, I loved seeing Guillermo del Toro take on uh, like big, big robots. I still saw some of his touches. I mean, mainly because Ron Perlman shows up halfway through the movie and I was like, obviously this is a del Toro movie. Uh, some of the interior designs kind of harken back to some of his other work. But I also loved elements that reminded me uh, kind of Evangelion, the neural bridges uh, that help the uh, pilots control the, the Jaegers, uh, the concept of drift compatibility I thought was so cool, um, in which partners have to understand and kind of internalize each other's memories and uh, pasts. And with it comes an exploration of past trauma and family history. And a lot of that reminded me of, of the importance of childhood and memory in, uh, in moments of Evangelion. So that was, the, uh, was kind of like a fun connection uh, and yeah, I thought the, the Jaegers were rendered really well and the fight sequences were cool. The one baby issue I had was that all of the, uh, so I, I'll, you know what, I'll return to this later. Okay. I'll, I'll let through, Yeah. <laughs> I also did not know what to expect. Um, going in, you know, I've just heard, I mainly knew this movie as being like almost a box office flop, certainly here in North America where it found a whole lot more success abroad. So I didn't really know what to expect going in. I love Guillermo del Toro. We've talked about uh, Hellboy on the podcast before. And I I think this movie got better as it went on. Like, I think I enjoyed the back half of Pacific Rim a lot more than the human-loaded front half of the movie. I think the world that they set up is really cool. And I think from what I read in interviews years ago, like, this was a movie that del Toro wanted to make for a long time. Like, he was really passionate about this project. And so... I think a lot of care went into thinking about the Jaegers and I think the Neuralink, which we talk a lot about, I think is a really cool concept. Uh, borrows a lot of like elements from other sci-fi movies, which I think is, you know, kind of works in a lot of ways. And I think some of the fights in the back half of the movie are really strong, but personally I had a hard time connecting with these human characters. Uh, Charlie Hunnam, he's really good in Sons of Anarchy, um, but I've never really seen another film that I've really connected with him in as an actor. Um, so I feel like Idris Elba, Charlie Day, um, those are, for me, were two of the biggest standouts in this film. So yeah, back half, I enjoyed. Uh, the first half, it kind of, it took me a while uh, for the movie to win me over. Yeah, and it was my my first time seeing it as well, because I, I had seen uh, 
I guess it must have been like a third of it at most, uh, which obviously was from the latter half of the film, uh, because I, I didn't remember uh, really any of the like uh, world building or like establishing like uh, character arc uh, work that's done in the first half of the movie. There are some things I really liked about this movie, and otherwise, I think I'm going to listen uh, and see what what everybody thought. I think uh, I, I loved. Uh, I'm a big fan of Charlie Day to begin with, so I think he's really nice in this, uh, playing both Charlie Day, but also kind of doing a Rick Moranis, which is pretty fun. Um, I think that his pairing with uh, the other scientist, who I initially found to be so much of a caricature that I couldn't take it, but then I softened on as it went on and established some character uh, interplay between the two. I, I found them to be my favorite pair in the movie, in a movie of pairs. So that's interesting. I think its visual effects are pretty astounding i mean the the kaijus the uh the jaegers and the falling cityscapes are all pretty convincingly rendered and really captivating um sometimes when it's underwater i get a little lost but you know that's part of the setting as well and i would say that the interior designs yeah uh as i think connor you had alluded to um or christine i don't recall but either way they're really the 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 whole hangar situation is really beautifully rendered uh outside of that uh, I, I've got nothing nice to say about this screenplay. Um, so I'm just going to wait it out and see what elements are highlighted and maybe jump in on occasion. So, uh, we'll see. I love hearing that. Thank you. Dave. I really appreciate everyone coming with like, eh? mixed feelings about this because I think that really says a lot as to like why you didn't do so well here in America. So I, that's something I would love to explore, like what exactly it is that, this movie is maybe lacking. Um, but the the first thing that I want to talk about that uh, ever since I've seen this movie, I can't stop thinking about is this idea of drift compatibility. Um, I think it is a super interesting concept and it's not easy. It's not an easy process to undergo. And uh, we learned that not everyone can be compatible with just anyone. Um, they don't explore this too, too much in the movie. Um, but, you know, I was wondering, like, if Jaegers were uh, present in our world today, like, what do you think would make someone compatible or, or incompatible? Um, I tried to think about this myself. And, you know, the first thing you want to go to is, well, someone with like completely different lived experiences. But um, what the movie shows is that, so most people are compatible with their close-knit family members. Um, there's only like three or four times that we see um, Jaeger pilots who are not blood-related. So it's Raleigh and Mako, Pentecost and Chuck Hansen, and <laughs> Charlie Day and the Kaiju. That one is the best. That's really fascinating to me. But I was thinking, what, what do you guys think about this concept of drift compatibility? This is such a cool sci-fi concept that I wish dominated more of the screenplay and kind of like was a bigger part of the movie of trying to like have this compatibility work. Because I think it's the idea of like, these robots can work. You need two brains to power this robot. And some people just aren't compatible. I think it's such a rich storytelling device. And I think... It's cool when, you know, when we see people like jacking into each other and trying to like see their memories. There's such a cool sequence where her name escapes me. He is plugging in with um, Charlie Hunnam and then she sort of like detaches in like her mind from the Jaeger and is like experiencing this childhood memory. 
Um, I really enjoyed that sequence. And I thought that would be interest, like an interesting idea of like, if maybe more visualness of that was thrown in instead of like quick flashes, blue filter, what's going on. There's some big mystery here. Um, so I think it's such a cool sci-fi concept that I would have loved the scene flushed out further, um, in the film. I had, uh, trouble distinguishing Charlie Hunnam from his brother Yancy. From the other oh, the like, Australian guy, I thought that <laughs> after his brother dies, that when he's brought back to then pilot the new Jaeger and the, the like younger blonde beefcake in the background, like looks at him like glaringly. I thought it was his brother like brought back <laughs> to life, but like had his memory wiped. I had conceived this entire alternate, <laughs> entirely alternate movie in my brain. And I was like, Oh, the reason there's conflict and tension is because his, his brother is back, but has his mind erased. And then they're going to like be compatible again. There's going to be this whole arc. <laughs> And then I was like, oh, shit, it's another, it's like a completely different person. <laughs> so that was a little bit um, challenging for me as far as initially interpreting what was going on and who was um, fighting whom and with whom and all of those things. But yeah, I agree with Connor. I think the concept of drift compatibility uh, could have been explored with more depth. I would argue that the movie is doing a shit ton. <laughs> and at the end of the day, I feel like it's a movie like this is like, let's just get to the like big, like mech battles. I, yeah. I mean, like, I, I don't think I was like thinking that this was uh, going to do a like a deep exploration of the psyche and the self and like relationships, which maybe it should have, maybe it should have risen to that occasion, but it, it was, yeah, it was kind of seeing the cool, seeing the different permutations of partners uh, in the in the Jaegers. So that didn't answer your question, Sam, but that was just my <laughs> two cents. I would have loved to see what the uh, triplets Chinese robot looked like on the inside. Yeah. Like how they piloted that. Because there's, it's always pairs, except for this, uh, the Chinese Jaeger is these triplets. And so I thought that would have been cool to see how that connection worked or how the mechanic, like, how do you like, cause it's left side of the brain, right side of the brain, but this is a three team. So I thought, yeah, seeing different permutations of what that looked like, I thought would have been really cool. Well, is it really left side and right side of the brain or of just of the body? Like, so, you know, another point I have here is about the, the neural load being too much for one person to handle. And I think that's because they're using most of their brain, even when they're co-piloting. So I, that was, I didn't get that impression that it was left side of the brain, right side of the brain, only like the body. Well, I did see that in the sense that we do see that, that one pilot's left side and one pilot's right side within the computer system are being activated. And apparently they each control one side of the body. So it, it is kind of both, which makes sense because that's how brains are wired. You're, you know, right the left side of your brain operates the right side of your body and vice versa. So I, I think it's kind of an attempt at that, maybe? Maybe. Although I, I don't know I that thought it's there that was well some inf- I thought there was some infographic in the first 10 minutes that were like, we need two people to power a Jaeger for two hemispheres of the brain. But yeah. Right. I could have been thinking about Maybe. No, maybe. And drift compatibility, as we've all said, is a really intriguing concept. I think it's a really cool idea. It's something that I've seen explored uh, via Nexus elsewhere. Uh, that's a, a huge feature of Evangelion. Um, but 
it is more a pilot's ability to drift with the machine. So it is one pilot. Uh, but the, the importance of that being a part of the story as well, that, I mean, we, we come to understand that these are like, uh, it has an AI mainframe program, but is an inorganic mech suit. So um, it, it is... It has its own borderline sentient programming that one has to communicate with, but it requires an organic pilot. Um, so in that sense, um, yeah, it kind of reminded me a lot of Evangelion, um, but I, I think didn't explore. I, it spent more time exploring how two pilots have to commune with each other th- consciously than it did with the machinery they're using, mm-hmm. which I think is fine. But I do also kind of have an issue with how rare an ability this is because it's suggested in the movie several times that like they even say almost in shock it's like can't you feel it we're drift compatible with like this urgency but at the end of the day it's like not to not to jump into spoilers or whatever but like Idris Elba can team up with this guy he's never worked with before after not being in any of these robots for several years and it, it it's based more in like um I don't know. It just feels like, and, and like Charlie Day is able to commune with an, a, a half dead alien brain in the same way that that technology is used after he quote cobbles together a neural network out of garbage, which is a funny line, but like, uh, it, I don't know. It feels like a lot of missed opportunities to make that something, uh, something more uh, elusive and something more unique uh, to the characters, especially because by the end it's like, it kind of becomes like, oh, this pilot's out of commission. Uh, you, you've got a mop. Drop the mop. Come on over here. You're you're teamed up with Idris Elba, and somehow it works. And well, I, I think what I, I think Idris Elba has it, that's an it, extreme exaggeration, but it's the same idea. Well, he gives the interesting line of like, I don't bring anything into the drift, which is like such a silly line to s- deliver so seriously. And I think it is an interesting idea of like this kind of like Jedi mindset of like pure mind, calm mind. You know, he has a few lines of like my calm, don't like take my calm presence or my calm demeanor to think that I'm not enraged. And so I think there's like all these little hints of like, oh, I wonder, like, it'd be cool to see a training program to try to get people into this. So like there's hints of this, like a bigger world or like this training or the mindset that I would have really enjoyed kind of delving deeper into. What I had wished that it had uh, explored more was um, the in internal damage that's caused like it like you start to see Idris Elba with like a with a bloody nose that uh predicts us finding or like it it is a clue to the the bodily harm that piloting one of these uh Jaegers really can can cause and I what exactly was it it was some a battle he was a part of in his past, correct? Where he had to take over and pilot single handedly. Is that correct me if I'm wrong about yeah, what exactly was causing those nosebleeds? I believe it was radiation damage from mm-hmm. phase one mechs. Because I think okay. phase ones only had one pilot. Mm-hmm. If I'm correct. Because yeah. because in um Mako's memory, it's just him who gets out of the mech. Right. So he said, so, like, yeah, we weren't concerned about radiation damage when this all started. And I think that's, yeah, I think that's an interesting detail where it's like he helped uh, refine the technology of the Jaeger. And because of that, really is still dealing with the physical consequences of that. And I think it probably, maybe that's what ushered in the idea of like, okay, also two pilots 
can share this load and this responsibility um, and we can figure out this concept of drift compatibility. So now that we're talking this out, yeah, I think the movie, uh, a stronger screenplay could have really built a little bit more of like built more connections between characters and why particular things happen and like in, uh, intensify the uniqueness or like emphasize, I should say the uniqueness that this ability really is, as Dave said, like not everyone can do this and not everyone can work together and have compatibility inside the Jaegers. Um, I have to say when I was watching it, I was just sort of along for the ride, but I now talking it through, I was like, yeah, there were definitely a lot of holes in my understanding of this Which, It's so interesting to me that you're saying this, that everybody's sort of saying this because the screenplay was written by two folks and Guillermo del Toro is one of them, but Travis Beecham, he's adapting this from his own work. So the fact that the screenplay is missing um, a, a few key points makes me wonder like what the actual work is like. Um, but, you know, for me, watching this movie multiple times, I think that what makes someone drift compatible is instinct and heart. Like, like those are the two most important things, but it really isn't like spelled out for us. And I think we, I think the movie would have benefited from that a, a lot. And Christine, I'm so glad that you brought up the, the, the health risks of being in the Jaegers. Like there is like the very beginning of the movie we see, um, we see Raleigh navigating with his brother Yancey and then Yancey dies like, horrifically, dramatically. Yikes. Um, but, but Raleigh does navigate one person in that Jaeger and we don't learn anything about how that's really impacted him um and I find it hard to believe that he like it like didn't at all so I definitely wish they would have explored that and that's apparently why Idris Elba went to go get Raleigh year five years later after this because he they're the only two people in the planet I guess or left who have single-handedly piloted the Jaeger and lived to tell about it I thought it was kind of interesting. I There's parts of the opening voiceover, which is like, I don't know, really grinded my gears to open the movie with like <laughs> expedition dump. But I was like, I feel like in that intro would have been such an interesting film of like, these creatures come up, they're, we have to scramble together as a, as a world, to like fight them. And then these people who fight them become rock stars. Um, and then the world eventually kind of like gets disillusioned of like, oh, this isn't special anymore. Or like you know the the um the, the kaiju just turn into like stuffed animals and like mass produced products and kind of you know, pop culture icons like that. So I was like, that's like an interesting undercurrent that I would have enjoyed kind of seeing sport further. And the idea that uh, Raleigh went from being rock star number one to being blue collar worker fighting to survive because he lost his brother and can't neuralink anymore, I thought was an interesting way to start the movie. I think it's really interesting, yeah, that um, that they are considered like the rock stars of their era because that's that makes sense. There also is like way more lore to all of this than is present in the first movie. I think they explored a little bit more in the second one, which I have not seen and I just kind of refuse to see it. Um, 
so th- there's so much more about like where exactly the kaijus are coming from. And so, you know, I think what would be interesting if we really explored the two separate forces. So we're on like the human side, obviously, because these creatures are coming in and invading earth and trying to take it away from us. But like, what might the opposite side look like? Because not that I'm saying that there's any excuse for like destroying the world and killing people, but you know, I think knowing and exploring the villain a little bit more would be a better use of a sequel. And my understanding is that the kaiju that the Jaegers are fighting are grown or harvested and like sent to Earth to do the bidding of these colonizers. So like uh, bioweapons, yeah. Yeah, so I thought that was, I didn't see that twist kind of in the a wrinkle in the story coming. So I was like, oh, that's like an interesting alien, you know, kind of twist on an alien invasion kaiju oh, idea. God. Are they like orcs in Lord of the Rings? Dave, I saw your reaction. And I know that this happens a lot, but I was not expecting that. No, no, the comment. no, that's not my, that's not what my reaction is about. It's, no, it's just like that. It's uh, what I think it is. It's uh, that is, that is independence day to a T. Uh, and it, it, this movie has a lot of independence day moments. There's, there's several, there's, um, there's that moment where we first learned their intentions, where, uh, Charlie day has communed with one telepathically and gives a speech saying like, Oh, they're colonizers and they're coming to rid us. They're coming to like rid us of this planet so they can use its resources. That is almost beat for beat. Bill Paxton saying that with the telekinesis in area 51 surgery room with the alien, uh, there's the impassioned Idris Elba speech that comes on later, which is pretty much beat by beat Bill Pullman, but not, it's not Bill Pullman. So, I mean, I love Idris Elba, but I'll take Bill Pullman's speech. Uh, and then even in the very end, again, spoilers is like when finally the, uh, the unmanned uh, Jaeger is, is descending into their world and is about to explode. It zooms in a little bit on like the lead alien's face in the exact same way it does in Independence Day. So I did find this movie to be like kind of a patchwork of stuff that I've seen before without very many new ideas, I guess is my issue with the screenplay. Yeah, I, I think that that's a really great criticism. And something that comes up for me a lot when watching this movie is is this a movie that's trying to do something new? Is this a movie that is like a love story to the the kaiju genre, um, to like the science fiction drama um, or genre? Or is it just like like an asshole, you know, like trying to do something cool and different, but like really not? I think it's a movie that wants the audience to have fun, but it over explains the fun. Because mm-hmm. when, when I'm in the kaiju fights, I'm having a great time. But the, the the character development portion of this movie, which takes about 45 minutes and, and and all the the kind of like scientific allusions to things that don't or sci-fi allusions to things that don't really ultimately play that substantial a role anyway, bogs it down. I would love to have seen the kaiju. I, I would I think if you shaved an, 30 minutes off of this movie and spent a little bit more time just getting to these kaiju fights, you'd have a really good time because I think it's a movie that over explains what should be just fun. For me. Yeah, I mean, I think it definitely could have used trimming. Uh, in fact, as much as I loved seeing Ron Perlman show up at this movie, I don't, you didn't really need him. Uh, did you guys see the stinger at the end? Yeah, yeah. Oh, he's alive! It's like, okay, this is completely um, unnecessary. Well, it's a sequel uh, yes. setup, you know, he's going to be back. It's a sequel setup, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Also, his um, character is, oh man, it's, I love Ron Perlman, and it's, it's, he, he's his the character design is awesome. He looks really snappy and really cool. I, th- I well, I think. <laughs> no, I, uh, yeah, I mean, like 
but um but also just like that charlie day as like a, a a kaiju groupie, let's say, since the movie does, um, is, 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 is like sent by the government to seek out these parts of the kaiju that have died to harvest them from black market kaiju organ dealers. It's like, don't you think the government would want to be a little more involved in this whole scenario and not allowing it to be like something you get on the dark web? So I don't know. I, I felt like the fetch quest with his character um, was a little unnecessary. And I also really disliked his name that he points out and makes it a point to say like, Oh, uh, like, hey, how'd you get that name? His name is uh, what? As uh, Hannibal Chow, and as Ron Pullman explains, is well, I, I picked my favorite historical figure's name and my favorite Chinese restaurant in such and such city. So Ron Perlman chose his name, his character, to be fair, chose his name in this movie based on a historical person of color and his favorite Chinese restaurant. Yikes! Yeah, yeah. I, I would agree. I think that everything with Ron Perlman should just be cut. That was not necessary at all. It's kind of like Guillermo being like, how do I get my buddy into this movie too? Yeah. <laughs> but I love this look. It was totally look. that. It was, yeah. Um, it was definitely, he was definitely shoehorned, shoehorned in. Um, uh, so yes, I agree with the the necessary trimming. But at the same time, I, I thought... For me, like a movie like this, I, I, I was definitely going along for the ride and I don't think that it was necessarily bringing anything new. I liked your distinction, Sam, of like, is this a love story to things that have come before it um, and really showcasing kind of a assemblage of different elements of like mech battles and uh, like kaijus, like all of these things. Uh, or is it trying to present something new? I'm sure every director would say this is new, fresh substance when it's just not. Mm -hmm. But what I really liked were the fight sequences. And what I loved was when the camera would, I thought that I thought the movie did a great job of keeping the immensity of uh, both the Jaegers and the monsters, like keeping the scale pretty well. I, I thought in like, um, there were moments in Godzilla versus Kong uh, where there was like some scale issues. I remember watching that movie and feeling like there were some big scale issues. So this movie, I thought for the most part, was really consistent with that. And I really liked that the camera would move from exterior shots of the uh, of the Jaegers and then move zoom inside so you could see what was going on with the pilots. And that's those transitions I thought were pretty effective and was a nice reminder of like the scale and what was going on as far as like how the pilots were moving. Um, so yeah, the battles where I thought were like the highlight. Uh, and then it kind of made me forget about all of the screenplay holes <laughs> that we've now talked through. And I'm like, Oh yeah, you guys are bringing up really good points. <laughs> yeah. The fighting, uh, the action is great. The action in this movie is really, really fun, which makes me think, Christine, like if that is what they're going for, if they're going for the homage of like these other things, then stick to that same, uh, allowing that same amount of room for fun for the most part, because most of those movies are, or, or stories do in a way that, unless it's like a series, I mean, like, you know, I don't know, I have contrary examples across the board because Evangelion really takes his time with character development, but it also 
you know, keeps thinking. I, I'm mentioning that only because this movie really reminds me of a lot of ideas from that. But, um, but it, yeah, I don't know. It, it does feel like homage in those moments, like when we're having a really good time watching a really great monster versus robot fight. And I, I think it, it does try to have its cake and eat it too in that way. It's like, oh, this is a loving tribute to that thing, but we're also putting a new spin on it that's pretty involved. But not explaining it's, it at all. Or, or explaining it in ways that, I don't know, I, I, I wasn't, I don't know. Well, it's a whole thing. But, um, but, but the fun of the movie is really fun. I just wanted more fun. That's all, <laughs> I guess. So, okay, question. Would you say that this movie suffers from too much focus on the individual characters because something I wanted to talk about was character development and like character stereotypes. I go back and forth on this a lot. Like I think that Raleigh is a very like developed character. Cause like, I, th- I think we see him go through trauma and then help someone else through their trauma and like kind of figure that out. But everybody else I I don't I don't particularly like. You know, when you say that, I as as everyone in the that Zoom probably saw had a pretty visceral reaction. Um, <laughs> I think you're yeah, I think you're right. I I think Raleigh is a pretty developed character. Uh, I think Charlie Hunnam does not bring that to life at all for me. Oh. I thought he was very very flat. Uh, I mean, even in the cool. opening okay, voiceover, all, I was kind of like, did we just wake him up? Like, <laughs> It's so arbitrary because he is English and they're making him do an American yeah, accent I'm when sure. they let Idris Elba keep his English accent. Like, yeah. It's clearly like accents are arbitrary and like as they should, like it's just like let people be who they are. But then you know, guy, you're American here. Exactly. You know what? That's a producer being like, we need an American beefcake for this role. Yeah, I mean, like he was definitely having a hard time with that. (laughs) But his character is pretty developed. I do like the character for the most part. I just want to like put him in my pocket because like, like, I don't know. I think that he is like, it feels like almost no toxic masculinity at all. Like the way he really takes to Tamako and like how he's like the biggest advocate and supporter she has. And there is even a moment when they're like fighting to figure out like if they're drift compatible or not. And he just like up and he just decides he's like, she's it. Like, that's it. Um, And so like, I really appreciated that. But with Mako, you know, She's supposed to be this strong female character. And I think that, you know, in a lot of movies, people don't understand like what a strong female character is actually like looking like. They're not just like strong or nothing phases them. They're stoic. It's like, no, this is someone who goes through trauma, who like experiences it and grows and is able to move on. I, damn, I don't know if that that's true here. I feel like she disappears in the back half of the movie. Like she just becomes a Jaeger pilot to complete plot objectives. Like she has moments of where she's trying, you know, we see her um, memory of her, you know, the the destruction of the um, Kaiju and Intercelva saving her. And it's like, I feel like there is like things to be, you know, character gold to be mined here. The idea that like, she really wants to be a pilot, but she's filled with so much rage that that, you know, just, you know, doesn't allow her to be a part of this program, but then that ultimately goes, doesn't matter anymore because Charlie Hunnam saved her. I don't know. I was sort of 
confused about what finally it made her. Was this just Idris Elba's protection over her or was it actually her mental state? I feel like I had a hard time kind of seeing the breakthroughs of this character. And then she's just quiet for like the last hour of the movie. This is for me the biggest missed opportunity in the whole movie. Um, this is a character who we're taught, and, and Del Toro has said as much in interviews, is like he, he envisioned this character as being on equal footing with the other male leads of the movie. But she has literally no agency. Yeah. Um, we, we come to understand that she's great at hand-to-hand combat, which I guess is important to Jaeger piloting. Uh, we come to understand that she is a good Jaeger pilot, even though the first time we see her training and once she fails, so it's a bit of a Mary Sue scenario. I won't get into all that, but the big issue that I have with it is that even though we see her presenting herself as a strong character, she is only allowed to influence the plot literally through her surrogate father, Idris Elba's permission, when he sees her cry in frustration about it and gives every time. Mm-hmm. which is a really shitty way to treat your only female lead in a movie. Yeah. Um, I also have a big problem with her her memory sequence, which is really impressive. The sequence itself visually is awesome. Uh, the, the kaiju design is really cool. It's really nice for us to, as an audience, get immersed with her in this memory. But the idea is that she loses control in that memory uh, because of the, I guess, the realism of the simulation via the computer and AI and her emotional investment in that memory, perhaps having long been since repressed or dormant that is rushing to the surface. And we don't see her lose herself as the pilot, as the fully grown woman that she is navigating this memory. She literally becomes the crying defenseless child before in that memory, we still get Riley stepping in in his suit, being like, listen, you need to stop crying or you're going to destroy us all. This yeah, movie all- really mistreats its only female lead. I totally. I, I, I agree 100% because also, okay, so she lost her whole family in a kaiju fight. Like, that, that's fucked up. That's going to stay with you. But Raleigh also lost his brother. He like he literally watched it. And so you mean to tell me that this man is not going to be carrying that trauma with him? Mm-hmm. And like that also couldn't happen. So like but he's more in control and he has to rescue her from her tears to save them mm-hmm. all. That is like. Yeah. So and then in the end, he has to save her with oxygen. So she mm-hmm. can be sent up to the surface on a bubble through the, the, the breach while he sets off the bomb and maybe survives. Uh, he does. Don't worry about it. But he's still the hero because that's the <laughs> point. So, yeah. Yeah, all that stuff. That's the stuff that really bothered me about this movie. Otherwise, there, were, there was like plot holes and things that frustrated me, but that really bummed me out. Because she, it's because she is good in it. She's she's the bread of, to be frank, a shit sandwich of a character. <laughs> I I know it's not the most helpful criticism to keep being like, well, I wish I saw this, or I wish the film had this. I'm going to do it anyway. I, <laughs> I wish that this had, as we kind of talked about, more of like, instead of a kaiju movie backbone, had a psychological drama backbone. I feel like that would have been really compelling of like, how do these two characters, their memories intermingle? How do they together like recognize trauma in each other and try to overcome it meanwhile there's this backdrop of all these kaijus rising up from another dimension destroying the earth i feel like that's a direction the movie kind of wanted to go into it's but it was pulled in several other directions maybe to meet different masters of box office of studio mandates of who knows but and maybe that's the imbalance because it does try to have it both ways as we've discussed in terms of being fun and being an homage and being original and maybe it just didn't see the original concepts through well uh, to, to enough fruition to justify their competition with the fun when we're expecting fun. 
Yeah, I think my expectations of this movie were like way, or just like, I was just ready, I don't know, for like big monsters and battles. And I think because it it touched on some elements that weren't just uh, stock, well, a lot of them are stock characters, but I think because it was trying to tap into uh, some more sort of character uh, characterization complexities. I was like, oh, okay, it's trying to do that. But like, I think its main focus is trying to make huge shit look cool. So uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think my expectations for what this was as a fun ride were, were met. And that I think that in the hands of some more skilled writers and sorry del toro maybe a different director it could have uh, achieved something different um but i i definitely agree with you dave that there's a definitely a power imbalance um when it comes to the agency of uh or lack of agency of the character of mako and all the male characters around her determining her her every move all of yeah <laughs> God, Charlie Hunnam, his brother, and that fucking Australian guy, all the same looking people. <laughs> also, the brother, another thing that was like, I'm sure this wasn't intentionally a reference, but when I hear my brother Yancey, my mind immediately goes to Futurama. So I don't know if that was something they were going for, but oh, man. Um, well, I only have one last question for the group. So is there anything else that um, you wanted to talk about when it comes to Pacific Rim? Very cool Jaeger sword. Yeah. The Jaeger sword was awesome. When Especially when he, get- when he pulls out the sword. I'm like, why weren't you using this from the beginning? It clearly <laughs> is the most. It seemed incredibly effective. When the pterodactyl beast, when the beast grows pterodactyl wings and flies him into space, shoves, shoves him with the, with the Jaeger sword. I was like, all right, this movie's pretty cool. Okay, that is a screenplay hole. That sword should have been introduced uh like way early on in that because it's like you don't save your sword for like one moment if it's effective you fucking use it unless it's like a single use only you know like i don't know it, they used it multiple times after this pivotal battle <laughs> it's like the opposite of that moment where they, they you can fly you can fly moment in uh the iron giant that we discussed last week instead it's you have a sword Wait, you have a sword? You fucking idiot. <laughs> All of these people have died now in the Jaeger. <laughs> also, now? the Jaegers are fighting underwater monsters, and we see one of them get crushed from the outside, which causes it to flood, and none of them have oxygen masks, and that's how they die? They drown? <laughs> that is fucked up. <laughs> uh, there's, too many, there's too many of those things, but... Um, but on the whole, I mean, I'd say don't take my word for it. I would say watch this. I, I have my feelings about it, and I thought it was... I thought it's fun was fun, and I wanted more of the fun. Uh, but the fun was fun, and that's important. Um, and I would say it, it's worth a watch just to make your own opinions on it, because I, I tend to be very much a stickler for, for things that reference other things, whether intentionally or not. So I think uh, you should make your own assessment. What a last thing I'll say is I also like that it didn't have too many characters. Yeah. I'm also comparing this to the last big like monster battle, like Kong versus or Godzilla versus King Kong. 
which had way too many characters. And I know that was because they were trying to combine two franchises and like, oh, they're like every, this whole roster of people have been in previous movies. So we contractually have to include them in this movie. I understand the behind the scenes mechanics, but I don't care about all of these characters. I kind of liked that this movie for the most part stuck with 10 characters max and like, you know, didn't fully explore them and, delve deep into their uh their innermost emotional states but like i liked that i didn't have to be constantly reintroduced or like constantly introduced to new characters except for ron perlman through the whole movie <laughs> and he does get kind of deep blue seed in that moment that was one thing too. i think um this movie is incredibly creative in a lot of ways and incredibly uncreative in a lot of ways um i love the kaiju that they kill is pregnant and then it's baby bursts out and umbilical cord. Like, I don't think I've ever seen that um, in one of these kind of movies. And so there's like, when the mm. creative juices are firing, when it's got interesting visuals, it's a really fun ride. Uh, but for me, it's like, man, that like 45 minutes where we just have characters talking to each other. I was, I was, was losing me pretty quick. And then when the Jaeger picks up the boat and starts smacking the, um, the monster in downtown Hong Kong, I was like, all right, I'm back on movie. Doing so much more damage than the fight itself, dragging that goddamn ship to the city. And then his fist goes through the office building and knocks the little bearing balls. <laughs> oh, that was too much. That was one stylistic touch too much. Because it was so awesome for me seeing this as a scene where, like, they're fighting in the, you know, he's fighting the kaiju in the Jaeger and, like, a fist just smashes through this office building. We kind of follow the fist as it's blasting through all these cubicles. And then it comes to a nice steady halt as it taps a desk and gets one of those like, um, what is it? It's like four suspended like pendulum marbles that like tap into each other on the far end. Like if all you needed to do is put someone behind that desk for an element of fear and realism to that instead of, but instead of some mundane, like remember these things, he taps one. It's just kind of, I don't know. That's maybe a bridge too far for me. Yeah. And you know what? The older I get, the more I pay attention to like city damage and the more I get stressed out because I'm like, oh God, how much is it going to cost to fix that? So I I know that this is like a point of um, these movies and like Avengers movies is (laughs) they just are destroying everything. But like, does it have to be everything? Does it have to be all the time? (laughs) I don't think so. But anyway, so my last question for you folks is who do you think in your life you would be drift compatible with? Do you have somebody? Do you not? Um, or is there someone you think you would definitely not be drift compatible with? Connor, no pressure. <laughs> I, I guess I have to say the missus, right? <laughs> for which Better. one? Um, uh, I think Paul Giamatti. I'd be incredibly <laughs> drift compatible with Oh my god! You'd be like, I, I, I'm not doing anything. Uh, I, I can't do anything. Are you I'm working sorry. the right side? I'm working the left. What? We have this all mixed up. Connor, <laughs> you, you got this. You got this one. <laughs> oh, then uh, if you're going Paul Giamatti, I'll go M Night Shyamalan. We would be so drift compatible. What a twist! He, yeah, right. <laughs> it's very apropos. Oh my gosh, M Night! If you're listening to this. Will I be watching your new movie, Old? Unfortunately, yes. The trailer looks like a piece of garbage, but yes. Mm-hmm. If you're listening to this, will you co-pilot a Jaeger with me? <laughs> you're just send up us- the road. Yeah, you're just up the road. Please send us an email in response. <laughs> we'll be waiting. 
Well, I'll be waiting. I think for me, I would rather risk the radiation exposure than try to drift with another human being. So uh, I'm going. I'm just. I'm just going to go the Idris Elba route. I love that. Uh, okay, so the person I think that we all like, everybody, this is a like an outlier would be compatible with. Maybe a lot like Idris Elba is Keanu Reeves. I just feel like he can adapt to just about anybody. Um, but. In my actual life, I think I would be really drift compatible with one of my roommates. Her name is Kara. And we've talked about this before. I think we would be drift compatible. I also think I'd be drift compatible with Chris Evans. Um, I think I think we would do it. I think we mm-hmm. got it. Um, but the person I think that I would not be drift compatible with is mom. Mom, I love you, but I don't think that we would be drift compatible. <laughs> I'm surprised that a father-son relationship worked as like drift compatible. And like he's it just was like I knew you had daddy issues and you're an egotist. Um, but I was like, oh, that's like an interesting idea of like parents being. And- well, that was a great like that whole when they're walking into the hangar and like looking at the teams and looking at the um, at the Jaegers. It was so fun because it was like a sports movie when like you walk into the arena and like you see all the different teams and their jerseys and like who's wore like the different dynamics among players and things like that. Uh, Connor, you might've mentioned like wanting more of that or like seeing kind of the insides of like other units or like other Jaegers and things like that. Um, but I, yeah, that was kind of a touch of fun. In fact, yeah, more of that. It could have been fun, like seeing them like stretch before getting into the Jaegers and like team cheers and stuff. Some like some handshakes. Yeah. Some, yeah, yeah. Get you psyched for, yeah. For certain death. Yeah. Kind of fucked. I think that should be on the poster, getting psyched for certain death. Certain death, yeah. <laughs> the recruiting poster to be a Jaeger pilot. I guess one last little note. Sam, I don't think you're going to like it very much, but maybe you should try Evangelion. Yes! You should please, do it. please. Oh All right. Because these elements that you said you're interested in are present and fleshed out. Okay. I, Along okay. with some other things, but <laughs> yeah, some other things are fleshed out for sure. Okay, <laughs> I will consider. <laughs> um. Oh my god! Get yes. If you start watching, it's a play-by-play. Sorry, I could go all day. <laughs> If it makes you feel better, the first eight episodes are more or less Monster of the Week, and then it turns into something else. Yeah, then it becomes a kind of Freudian psychoanalytical nightmare. Oh, fantastic. Just the kind of light watching that you really need after, like, a long day at work. <laughs> um, it's, I, I will consider, and I'll let you know, should I, should I go on this journey? Cool. Anything else folks want to add? Before we wrap up, we're canceling the apocalypse. <laughs> I remember that from every trailer. Yeah. He cobbled oh. together a neural network out of garbage. <laughs> Great fucking, line. Great yeah, line. Had the fucking like a uh, fireplace flume like fan. <laughs> it reminded me, that moment reminded me a little bit of the second Hellboy, like the under, underground world, like the other world. But man, when they set that clock back to zero, it's an emotional moment. Um, 
Okay, everybody. Well, thanks for listening. Um, please let us know what you think about Pacific Rim. We are on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Send us an email at butterwiththatpodcast at gmail.com. Um, and until next week, have a, a great whatever. <laughs>